Good evening, everybody, and welcome in for another edition of This Week in Hockey. Happy Tuesday to everyone, along with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. I am Alex Ferrario without Joe Vitale this evening, but Kerbs and I got two straight hours of hockey talk for you. Tonight, we're going to talk with a little Doug Armstrong. You'll hear a couple of cuts from the Blues president of hockey operations as he talked with Chris Kerber. We are also going to chat with Jim Thomas from the Post-Dispatch, get an update on how the state of hockey coverage from the Blues beat writer has been in this pandemic so lots of fun to get into tonight as well and as always if you want to get a part of the conversation you can you can text us at 65780 you can tweet us at Chris Kerber or you can tweet me at Ferrario 101 ESPN but first things first Kerbs how are you sir and a week removed from wrapping up our Play Gloria segment and series. Yeah, we did, and and moving on to Friday, which will be the one-year anniversary of that famous Game 7. We're going to, they'll do an encore presentation of that game, kind of a a redo of of the last Friday's Play Gloria. Looking forward to that. Um, But but how about some of the news this week, Alex? So, um, like you said, we we got a lot to go through over the course of the show. I actually, I've got some thoughts uh, to play off of a week later, my, my comments from last week regarding statements from teams and athletes. And so we're going to save that for a little bit later in the show for you in the second hour. But one thing we know for sure is that when play resumes for the National Hockey League, those play-in rounds will be best of five. That that we kind of knew. But then this is what the, the, there was a question to be determined. And since we did our show last week, it was answered. When you get to what will be known as kind of the the actual playoffs of rounds one, two, three, and four, there was some questions whether or not rounds one, two, three, and four, or rounds one and two were going to be best of five or best of seven. And Gary Bettman, when the initial announcement was made, said that the National Hockey League has their opinions on it, but they are going to leave it up to the Players Association. If the Players Association feels it should be best of seven, They'll go with that. If they feel it should be best of five, they'll go with that. What they also felt um, was the players' input when it came to seeding, and that has been decided as well. So here's what we know. Rounds one through four of the traditional Stanley Cup playoffs, they're all going to be best of seven. There's interesting aspects of that that now happen because of this setup. But then it will also be a reseeding. So think about this for a moment. Once the seeding is figured out on the play-in games, okay, of the top four teams, the seeding of the bottom eight teams is going to be based off a regular season points percentage. If the Chicago Blackhawks defeat the Edmonton Oilers in their best-of-five play-in game, and they can do it, they could do it, and you get Corey Crawford to get hot right off the bat, no doubt the Edmonton Oilers are the better team. But a rested Chicago Blackhawks team, an energetic Chicago Blackhawks team, I mean, this goes for any one of the teams that gets in. You know, Montreal against Pittsburgh, same kind of thing with Carey Price. The Blackhawks could beat Edmonton. If they did, and the Blues managed to finish with the top seed. So I get it, two ifs there. All right, but let's they're going in as the top seed to the play-in rounds. Blues and Blackhawks would be first round of the playoffs. Which is fantastic. Blues and Blackhawks would be first round of the playoffs. So the Players Association decided that they like the idea uh, and want to go to the seeding format. Now, remember, it was just a few short years ago that that's how it was. It changed when they went back to the division formats. I personally, I like the division playoff. I like the division formats. I'm a fan of it on on, on many different fronts. I disagree with a lot of people that think a lot of these second-round matchups would be conference finals. 
I think it's insulting to, I mean, be pretty insulting to sit there and say, well, Blue Stars last year would have been a better conference final than Blues Sharks. Right. Based on, you know, like, so I'm fine with the playoffs. Well, that's the way, a the hypothetical, way too, because if the Sharks don't go through what they went through in their situation with Vegas, you might have seen a Blues versus Vegas Western Conference final. Well, and that, that's that's exactly right. So I, I'm I'm actually in favor of it. So that is what we do know now. And so the playoff matchups could be really, truly just something that's that's fascinating about the whole process now that those decisions have been made. Now, uh, more on the local front. Some teams' facilities were opened up as of yesterday. Uh, the Blues are not opening theirs up until the 22nd of June, I believe, right around there. We're going to talk to Doug Armstrong about that one in the next segment. Mm-hmm. If if the league is able to get things going that first week of August, which is what they're hopeful for games, you're talking about a six-week window uh, for players to get enough skating underneath them. They feel that that is enough. They've actually talked to the leadership group and talked to the players about that. So uh, so that's some good and news there. And that's six weeks before Phase 3 would start, correct? No, no, no. That's six weeks. Phase 2 and Phase 3 would Combined. Total, uh, but so would six weeks before six the playoffs weeks. would start. Six weeks before the actual gameplay gotcha. would start. And so... There's a lot, uh, a lot, lot of thoughts along those lines. Yeah, there is. And I'll just start with, with the first one that we talked about with the matchups, Curbs. And this has been something that I've been thinking of, too, since we've known that it's 24 teams going into it. And now that we know the reseeding, like you spoke of, of 1 through 16 every round, I think this is something that is going to set the NHL above what most people think of the National Hockey League. And you and I haven't had the chance to talk since Max Kellerman made the stupid comment that he made saying that hockey's not an actual, you know, main four sports like NFL, major or major league baseball and NBA is, but I think when you have the scenario of hockey being one of the first sports to come back and to start the playoffs where we know playoff hockey is is you know one of the best in terms of actual sports playoffs and one of the toughest to win the trophies in but on top of that you're going to add more teams into it, you're going to add the healthy aspect of this I think this is something that not only is going to skyrocket the ratings for the National Hockey League when it comes back because it's sports, but I think this is something that the NHL could possibly consider continuing down the road. Now, I'm not saying continue to do 24-team playoff format, but what if they turn this into a one-game play-in scenario, Curbs, to where you have the normal eight teams from each conference that are playing, but maybe a number nine team has the opportunity to play in. You mean down the road? Didn't it? Down the road. I, honestly, I don't like it. I don't I think don't it's e- good either, I, but but does the NHL see it as a an opportunity to make more money as you add another team uh, in? Look, if you play an 82 regular season game, schedule and you lose by percentage points or you lose by a tiebreaker you had plenty of opportunities to be top eight no excuses i think when there were 21 22 teams in the league not all that long ago and 16 team made the made to 16 teams made the playoff then i i thought the argument of every team in the league makes the playoffs okay you could make the case for that i remember getting into one heck of a discussion with brian burwell over that uh, on the road in detroit one night <laughs> Um, but nowadays, I think it's hard to make the playoffs. It mm-hmm. is legitimately difficult to make the playoffs. Uh, you're seeing other teams. The NBA has had the same number of teams make the playoffs as the NHL for a long time. You're seeing Major League Baseball and the NFL get much closer to that 16 total, aren't you? Yeah. So I, I, I don't think you need it. I, I just, 
Uh, at that point, I, I think it's somewhat gimmicky. I think you had 82 games to be top seven. If you're in a battle for eight, you're in a battle for eight, and so be it. You take your lumps and you go. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that I would need to see that or or want to see that. I, I will say, I, I will say, what's interesting about it is this does give leagues opportunities, Alex, to to try some new things mm-hmm. and test it out. Look, you, the one thing you know for sure, I feel that way about what you just asked now. I'm pretty confident that I'm going to feel that way a year from now on that one. Right. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't visit ideas like that. It doesn't mean that you should just poop on those ideas and not even give them some thought. I do think teams have to always stay vigilant and willing to look at concepts, look at ideas, look at things that work that continue to improve your product, improve your opportunity there. Look, the diehards in baseball mm-hmm. hated the wild card. We have now seen several wild card teams win World Series championships in thrilling fashion. The wild card has been very, very good and healthy for Major League Baseball. Yes, you can still cling to your romantic old school ways, and those are not wrong. I mean, there was definitely something amazingly special about winning a pennant over a regular season. But the reality of it is the playoffs are the playoffs, and, and you've got to be able to adjust, and I think they will. Interestingly enough, uh, you know, one one topic about how this league is going to get going in a few weeks, Alex, or really a month and a half by the time they play, home ice. Yeah. Home ice. Home ice advantage. Now, the top four teams in each conference – are going to play a round-robin tournament with regular season overtime and shootout rules. Two points for a win, one point for an overtime or shootout loss, no points for a regulation loss. And the standings of that round-robin tournament are going to determine seeds one through four for the playoffs. Any tiebreaker, the first tiebreaker is regular season win percentage. So the St. Louis Blues own a tiebreaker, no matter who they're playing against. They're going in as a top seed in the West. So the Blues on the tiebreaker, no matter whatever scenario happens. But think about how it may matter. So remember, Gary Bettman came in, and the league is holding out hope that you could potentially play the the conference final and the Stanley Cup final in the home cities. Right. That is a possibility still. It is still something that is thought of. Now, while they may not think it's overly realistic right now, I mean, the World Health Organization came out yesterday with a complete shocker of the rarity of someone asymptomatic with it passing it along based on the contract t- tracing they're doing, right? So this thing is still very much liquid and and, and moving. So it could change. You're going to play for home ice, advantage which right now is going to give you the last change in a best of seven series in games one and two five and seven as if it were changing cities even if you're in the hub city but what if it changes now and because you won one of those top two or you are the higher seed however it does work out maybe it's the third and fourth seed that get all the way there right and we have seen that happen recently Mm -hmm. there's a chance you could end up with home games in your city so this seeding round robin is not just training camp games. It could matter. I mean, there is a chance, even though the league is moving on with the idea of we are going to play these games without fans. 
Well, if you're not getting to the Stanley Cup final, and in the scenario that the league is looking at, you're not getting it till the end of September into October. They're assuming it could take you about 62 to 65 days from the drop of the puck on the first play-in rounds to the end, 65-day window approximately. I mean, it, it, it could be different. Could yeah. you could you play in some of these buildings with 25% capacity? I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that the leagues know. Well, football's saying right now, college football and NFL are saying we're going to play with fans in the stands. Yeah, and I know, but outdoor and indoor become two very different yeah, things. That's here. the biggest thing. But I'm wondering if if you see PGA with fans in attendance, if you see football games start to try and put people in the stands and even if we get to baseball if that for some reason happens which it doesn't seem likely with all these negative conversations i just wonder if it's going to set the trend of well yeah maybe we can do this but i understand the outdoor and indoors are different i don't know i wonder if the concert business yeah would steer this more than other sports an outdoor sport uh, and and but again, I I think it's all very fluid. How mm-hmm. so? And and then we'll we'll talk to Doug Armstrong in a moment. But then when we come out, there's an ask. So I just gave you the importance of why the seating matters. But there's going to be something you're going to have to do with those games. I truly believe that could impact that as well. But we'll we'll ask Doug Armstrong first, and then and then we'll take we'll give room at some time after that for our thoughts on it in a moment. We'll take a break. You're listening to this week in hockey. Glad to have you with us here every Tuesday night from six to eight p.m. We've been doing it throughout the entire pause. There's still plenty to go. We've got a a jam show for you yet to come. You're going to hear from Doug Armstrong on some of the recent decisions and thoughts of what's going on. That's coming up next. Jim Thomas joins us for a couple of segments in the next uh, hour as well. More to come as uh, we. Get together with you for this week in hockey on a Tuesday night. Back in a moment here on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back into this week in hockey. Chris Kerber, Alex Ferrario with you. I was able to catch up with Blues President of Hockey Operations and General Manager Doug Armstrong. You'll hear that interview in its entirety tomorrow night on our Behind the Bench show brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floor. So stay tuned for that. But wanted to give you a couple of his thoughts that he had. First off, we caught up with him, and one of the reasons that he is very confident going into this playoffs with the team is the approach that this team knows how to control what it can control. Well, I think you rely on, on communication with your leadership group. Uh, Craig and I will talk to our players. Uh, you know, there's certain things in life that you can control, and, and you, and you want to you control those, and that will be our attitude, our preparation, our, our mental mindset. Uh, you know, we're not going to be able to control the environment. We're not going to be able to control all the things that uh, that go into it. And I think the, the maturity of our team is going to be tested uh, and then the desire to, to stay on task. And uh, this group has shown no indication that we shouldn't fully fully trust they're going to be ready to play. And it's like anything in, in, in pro sport. And these guys, you know, in, in athletics is that if you're going to go through the exercise, you might as well win. And I imagine our players are going to take that format going in. Uh, understanding that their careers are are a finite uh, time frame, and they have a chance to to uh, to compete for the Stanley Cup, and they're going to put their best foot forward. If there is anything that we learned last year from the mindset of this organization, from Doug Armstrong to Craig Berube to the hockey team, is they proved that they learned how to adjust and go with the flow and handle things. Look, I got to think, Alex, that that is going to be a major major potential factor here in 
how the St. Louis Blues respond and come out of the shoot. That is one of the reasons that I think, even though the Vegas odds right now have Philadelphia with the longer odds to or better odds to win the Stanley Cup than the St. Louis Blues, I, I still think your two favorites coming uh, one coming out of the West and one coming out of the East could be the rematch of Boston and St. Louis in a Stanley Cup final. Agreed 100%, especially because of the mindset. You just heard Doug Armstrong mention. I mean, even going into this pandemic, we thought that if things were able to start back up, the best team in the best position would be Craig Berube's team because of what we saw them go through last year and the mindset that they've had. But the other factor with this, too, and I liked Armstrong talking about that, you know, controlling what you can control – you know, you can't control having no fans in the stands. You can't control not having more practice time or training camp time or being in the round robin. Other teams may look at that and say, boy, well, this kind of robs us of something. But from what you're going to see with Craig Berube and the leadership of the Blues, it's going to be we just want to play and we'll go out there and play. And on top of that, you know, other teams are going to be on the same boat as the St. Louis Blues of not having practice time, not being able to train together. It's going to be small groups. But the one thing that you don't need to train is the physicality side of hockey. And that's what the Blues, they thrive off of. So not having the practice time, controlling what you can control, and having that right mindset, regardless of what the odds say, puts the Blues as the best team going into the in the playoffs. Yeah, I definitely think that that, that does make a, a quite a bit of difference for how the Blues are, are going to handle it. Now, I also do think... And you'll hear more from Doug Armstrong tomorrow on some other bumps and bruises and nicks that the Blues have been able to rehab beyond just Vladimir Tarasenko. But I also do think that while, yes, those other teams have rested, having more of a veteran team, having a team that went all the way to the Stanley Cup final, and now all of a sudden the Boston Bruins and the St. Louis Blues get to play a rested tournament? Yeah. It's a huge difference. Get their best it's, player it's, back. It's a big difference. You get it. You get a nicked up, banged up, bruised up Oscar Sundquist ready to go. You get a fully refreshed Alexander Steen on that fourth line with Ivan Barbashev. I mean, just think about that versus the wear and tear of a of a of a, at that point what was a seventy one game season. I'm telling you, I I think it, it it benefits them very much. Now it's that's those aren't the only challenges. You know, that that were out there for the St. Louis Blues. And I threw the question to Doug Armstrong. Well, frankly, just going in, what do you see are other challenges? The challenge is just going to be able to stay in the moment and not uh, not not worry about what's coming around the next corner. Just just take take it day by day. You know, things are going to be fluid. There's going to be things that uh, uh, outbreaks or whatever is going to happen. You never know what's going to happen uh you know, around us. So I think we just have to come in. We have to worry about controlling what we can and uh, the rest will take care of itself. And again, I think that's sort of been the mandate of this group for a number of years here. So I, I see our group coming back with the strong leadership that we have to, just to control the things we can control and be ready for whatever. Alex, whatever team, in my opinion, masters that approach and that acceptance of the situation is the one that is going to give themselves a better chance to succeed. If you go in to a situation where you could potentially be sequestered for up to 65 days, if you can't accept the situation you're in and it's kind of always that feeling of, oh, I got this and I can't see my family, I can't do this, I can't do that, it's going to become long and hard. Imagine a situation where you have just been sequestered for 53 days 
and the last seven of which you haven't had any games because you swept your conference final opponent while the other team is going to seven games. Remember what happened to Boston? Mm-hmm. Blues swept, or they swept Carolina, and then the Blues go six with San Jose. Boston had nine days off. That is, did that potentially impact right. things? Who knows? It's the age-old question in sports, so who knows? That could now happen sequestered in a hub city. Yeah. Where the most you're still allowed to be at the rink is three hours. And if you base it even off of what some of these other leagues are doing, meetings could only be a certain number of people. In the NFL, you, you you know, position meetings can only have a certain number of people. Anything over 20 has to be – I mean, I'm telling you, all these things are there. The team that is able to wrap their head around that schedule, that acceptance, and manage that part of it is the team that's going to come together quickly. And that's the team that has dealt with adversity, and that's a team that has leadership that's been in this scenario before. And that's, again, why the Blues are in the best scenario going into the playoffs. And I agree with you. Boston's one of those teams as well. And Boston's going to have a little bit more grudge going into it if it is another rematch or just going into the playoffs because they they obviously lost in the Stanley Cup final. But, you know, I say leadership, and we remember we just went through all of it on the Play Glorious series of all of these players in the Blues locker room like an Alex Petrangelo and Alexander Steen and David Perron, all of these veterans that are not only healthy that you just mentioned – but had that mindset for so long of it's one game and you move forward. Now, there's another anomaly thrown in, like you just said, of being locked in one building and not having the opportunities to go out and you know be with your friends and be with your family. You're stuck there. But that's where it comes into the coaching mindset, and that's where Craig Berube has that advantage. So to me, it just everything works out in favor for the St. Louis Blues with all of these scenarios going in. And you said the players have to have the right mindset. We've heard from Braden Shen. We've heard from Alex Petrangelo on 101 ESPN. We've had a couple guys here on This Week in Hockey Curbs. They just want to play. They're already in that mindset. They want to get out there, and they want to play, and they want to finish the championship and defend the cup one more time. That they do. Think of the mindset of what this team knows what it's like to go through, right? Now you're Elaine Vigneault in your first year with Philadelphia. You have them second place right now in the division, right? And knocking on the door. I mean, they were knocking on the door at one point behind Washington to take the lead in that division going into the final 10 games of the regular season. But you're a Flyers organization that has only made the playoffs three times in the last seven years, and you got eliminated in the first round. I mean, they've only made the playoffs twice since they let Craig Berube go as their head coach. I mean, look, look, this is it's a Flyers team that has an experience, and I've got to believe that you've got to be able to go and lean on experience in this situation with all the other issues that you could be dealing with. This. All right, again, you're going to hear more from Doug Armstrong tomorrow night. We get into a lot more from the health of the team, the health of Vladimir Tarasenko, to uh, Alex Petrangelo, the, the free agency situation. We get into salary cap scenarios uh, surrounding this playoff. Does the salary cap matter? What's still being negotiated? All sorts of the stuff tomorrow night with Doug Armstrong on our Behind the Bench program. We're also going to spend some time tomorrow night with Kim Davis of the National Hockey League. She's in charge of this. She's the executive vice president of social impact, growth initiatives, and legislative affairs. Uh, a real pointed interview coming tomorrow with Kim Davis. Hopefully you'll stay tuned for that. We're also going to hear Craig Berube on tomorrow night's Behind the Bench show. We'll get an idea of just where the Blues coaching staff is at in terms of how they are planning things. But right now you're tuning into This weekend Hockey. It's right here on 101 ESPN. When we come back, we mentioned Alex Petrangelo. 
Boy, life's not very fair at times. And we'll talk about why in a moment. We'll be back in a moment right here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. We're back in here on another edition of This Week in Hockey here on a Tuesday night along with Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. Make sure you stick around because we'll in hour number two, we're going to talk with Jim Thomas from the Post-Dispatch who covers the St. Louis Blues. He does the beat. Right now we're going to get his perspective on this pause in sports, the Blues' chances going into the playoffs if play does resume, and what life is like for a beat writer without any sports. So that'll be coming up in our next hour. This hour, though, I want to get a little more into this Alex Petrangelo situation. So, uh, Curbs, you teased it uh, last segment that uh, tomorrow night fans will be able to hear Doug Armstrong with you talk a little bit about the contract situation with Alex Petrangelo and where the Blues are at right now. But Alex Petrangelo was on 101 ESPN last week. He was on Rivs and BK with Jamie Rivers and Brandon Kiley, and he had the discussion with those two about the dialogue currently between the St. Louis Blues and his staff. Take a listen. Um, you know, it's been quiet. Uh, obviously, this is a situation that no one really, uh, you know, saw coming. But, you know, I've kept most of the stuff internal, and I think I'm, you know, I, I prefer to keep it that way. Like, the, the only thing that I can really say is, is me and my wife are really taking our time to kind of go through all of the options and what's going to happen. And, um, you know, the league doesn't even know, you know, where things are going to be at. I think once, you know, they decide if, if we're coming back or, or not, there'll be a little bit more clarity on what's going to happen next year moving forward. But, um, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm running a hundred miles an hour, but I'll give myself credit. I've had an opportunity to really sit back and, um, take my time and really just discuss with, with my wife and, um, my family about what's going to be the best decision for us moving forward. Cause ultimately that's, that's what matters. So again, that's blues captain, Alex Petrangelo on ribs and BK last week, talking about that dialogue with the blues, but then he also was asked about, you know, his perception of his legacy in St. Louis. And if that has anything to do or goes into the consideration of remaining with the St. Louis blues. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously a big deal. I mean, I've been here my whole career. The city means a lot to me. Uh, you know, my wife being from here and we've got a lot of family and friends here. This is place, uh, you know, it's become a second home to me. And, uh, I guess it's, uh, it's one way to put it about legacy and I've had some really good memories here too. And, and I'd like to keep those memories, but again, it's, we got to sit back and, and kind of go through this thing. And it's, uh, it's a decision that takes a lot of people and a lot of opinions that, that, you know, you want to count on. And obviously, um, everyone knows, you know, I'm close with my family, my wife's family, and it's uh, it's fun to have those conversations because their inputs matter. This uh, this city means a lot to me, so uh, hopefully we can get something done, you know, in that aspect. But uh, again. Certainly uh, a lot of things to discuss. And again, if you want to hear the full interview, you can check it out on the podcast at 101ESPN.com from Ribs and BK. But Curbs, a couple things stick out to me there, and I, I want your thoughts on this as well. Uh, first, he says that it's been quiet with the Blues. Second, he talks about that you know he's having these long, lengthy discussions with his wife and his family about what the best option is going to be. But the other one was the legacy, and that's the part that got me up. I mean, he even said it there that, you know, yeah, that that's that's, that's going to go into consideration because my whole career has been in St. Louis. My life has been in St. Louis, and that's obviously takes precedence over anything else. I think those were two very open and honest answers from Alex. I mean, folks, Alex is a very intelligent man. He's very methodical. Um, he is able to separate the business and the emotion. And I got to tell you, that is not an easy thing to do. I challenge anybody out there 
to separate, and, and you've all dealt with different things, and, and it may not be about signing a massive contract, but you, you have dealt with different things. I mean, uh, where whether it be something with your kid, where you have to separate reality and stuff from the emotion of the moment, and you know how hard that is. You know, you're not just talking about going and signing a big contract. He's right. You're talking about, is it moving a family? Is it moving triplets? Is it, you know, what kind of support do you have in whatever market you go to? You put in the opportunities to win. You put in how weigh that importance to it. You weigh future aspects of it. What, I mean, and there's another aspect that goes into it. What are some of the future goals and dreams and things he wants to do when he's done playing? If there's any one thing that continues to jump out the page at me with the the public um, approach, not not even approach, but the public leaking of all the different things going on with Major League Baseball. And, and I don't really care from a side standpoint what, what ends up going down on that side of it. It's just about getting something done. But but there is so much more. I mean, this look, this is where I said coming out of that last segment, there's something very unlucky here. And this is, I mean, this is the luck of the draw. When you become a free agent, when you hit the market, the luck of the draw, much like the luck of the draft, sometimes come down to what are the other market factors? Mm-hmm. And that is also for it's no different in all honesty than playing the stock market. It's real estate. It's life and, and it happens. And I'll give you a few scenarios, right? You just sold a house. You just bought a house. Yep. You just put bids on houses and were outbid, right? Um you're selling a house in a market that is been pretty good still to sell houses. Right. There's still good demand despite what's going on. Yet I know people as well that have had contracts on their house or apartment and though they they've had the, the people that put them under have had to bail on those contracts yep. because of the COVID-19 economic situation. When I sold our house on Price Road almost 14 years ago, it, it was really, it was right at 2006. It was right at the beginning of that housing market crash, and it stunk. It was a brutal time to have to sell a house, right? But that's just, it's when I was. I, the family was growing. We had to move. It was time to move. Yeah. Okay. Again, the luck of it. If I had held on to that house for five or six years, turned around and sold it, it would have been a totally different story. All right. Let's go back to the blue signing of Jay McKee. <laughs> All right. Here's a name from the past. Well, I want you to think about think about how this all worked out. Jay McKee wound up being an unrestricted free agent in a market when that year before the Buffalo Sabres go to the conference finals and he was a shot blocking machine. The same year that Jay McKee is an unrestricted free agent, right? Is the same year that Zdeno Chara is an unrestricted free agent. And Zidane Chara signs a big contract with the Boston Bruins. Now, Jay McKee's role and, and, and level as a second-tier defenseman in that market, when Zidane Chara gets a $7 million contract, put Jay McKee in that $4 million a year range. Right? Now, the Blues end up signing... Jay McKee. 
Now, the Blues were desperate and needed some players. They needed a sign. And they get Jay McKee. The, the Blues were in that downturn, remember? Right. All right, so they give him that contract. Well, what did that contract do? That contract then impacted the contracts of how you were going to sign Barrett Jackman and Bryce Salvador because those two guys had offensive numbers that were better than Jay McKee's. Yeah. So the next thing you know, Barrett Jackman and Bryce Salvador end up in a market and a team structure where they were worth, based on Jay McKee signing, more money. Blues end up signing Barrett Jackman, and they trade Bryce Salvador to New Jersey for Cam Jansen. All right? You bring all that in because then you look at a situation where every time Paul Stastny has been an unrestricted free agent. When the Blues signed Paul Stastny to that four-year contract, he was the best centerman on the market. So he got that $7 million a year. When he becomes an unrestricted free agent after finishing after the trade to Winnipeg, he's one of the top centermen on the market, and he ends up getting a good three-year deal. Right. Go look at the history of Paul Stastny's contracts. None of them have been these long-term things. He has signed a series of terrific contracts yeah. that have made him a lot of money. Now, I pull that all back to Alex Petrangelo, a guy that is destined to be the top paid unrestricted free agent defenseman in the current market. Somehow based in that area of Roman Yossi. But now Alex Petrangelo has done something that Roman Yossi hasn't done, and that is win a Stanley Cup. Cup. Right? So you've got to look at what the Capitals signed John Carlson for. You've got to look at what the Nashville Predators have signed Roman Yossi for. But now the market may have fallen completely out of the, of, of the business financially. They don't know what the salary cap could look like. There's questions around the CBA. I have no doubt that the Blues have put it in range where they can sign him, Alex. I have no doubt that Doug Armstrong has a plan of attack because I know Doug Armstrong wants Alex Petrangelo to stay. Right. I know that Doug Armstrong wants Alex Petrangelo still to help anchor this defensive core. Because the Blues could do what the Chicago Blackhawks did and win three Stanley Cups in six years. They could do what the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Los Angeles Kings did. And that's either win back-to-back Stanley Cups like the Penguins did or win two Cups in three years. And they've got this window of opportunity to do it. Now, does that mean that you're going to sign him to a long-term contract like the L.A. Kings did with guys where you could be killed later? I don't know, I, I, but, but I know that there's a plan now. But it's unfortunate for Alex Petrangelo because the market and how things could look could be drastically changed. Look, the salary cap could still be around $80 million. We talked to Tom Stillman. They're just going to have to make a decision on a salary cap that's not going to be based on numbers, right? Okay. But holy cow, a salary cap of eight million of eighty million. Eighty four million is what they projected it could have been, right? Right. If you don't adjust that and you can't play hockey with fans in the building for a while, or you can only play with fifty percent capacity, those numbers add up to where it could cost a team anywhere from a ten million difference of what it would be in a normal situation to in the area of Tens of millions to 50, 60 million, depending on how many games get cut and how many games you can't play in front of a full capacity. So where you keep it, that, that, that's, I mean, that's all going to play in there. So Alex has a hard decision to make in terms of how he manages this. Now, at the same time, you may hit for unrestricted free agency and a team that's got some money. Colorado, they can afford it. Yeah. That owner, they can afford it. You know, we, we already, we're we going to hear from Jim Thomas, who's going to talk about this a little later on. Whatever team that has some real cap space, 
There's some owners with deep pockets that can afford it that can say, I'm going to go ahead and take my chance and lay that contract out there, and I'll deal with it mm-hmm. on the back end as they figure this out. Someone's going to be aggressive. Right. And he's got to make the – I mean, I'm telling you, I, I know it's kind of a long-winded way of going at it, but there's so many factors in there that, that they've got some decisions to be made on how they're going to do it. Yeah. And and he's taking the right approach, as you heard. You, uh, we'll hear from Doug Armstrong tomorrow. They've got to be patient. They have had discussions. Alex has to be patient, too, to make what's the best decision. And here's one thing I do believe fully. I believe the teams have the right to make what is, they believe, the best interest of their organization and what they need to do. But I 1,000% also believe that for the athlete. If you have been drafted and given 10 years of your pro career to an organization where you have not been able to make a choice that you want to make, whether it be where you want to live, a situation for your family, whatever, you sure as hell have earned that right. An unrestricted free agency, I think, is good. They should earn that right, and you've got to respect those decisions, whether it's to stay or go. Well, I mean, I know you said it was long-winded, but, I mean, you were – spot on when you ended the last segment and teased the Alex Petrangelo. I mean, it is a really unlucky situation that this has right. all fallen on for the captain. And of course, everybody in St. Louis and the NHL is kind of on pins and needles waiting to find out what's going to happen with number 27. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and wrap up the first hour of this week in hockey. Now that the regular season is officially over, the award nominations are starting to come out and we're going to talk about the Jack Adams Award, which Chris Kerber, among other broadcasters, have a big part in and a St. Louis Blue is up for an award already. So we'll touch on all of that next as we wrap up our number one of This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Final time this hour here on This Week in Hockey, along with Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. One more hour of hockey talk coming your way in just a bit. Jim Thomas will be a part of that hour, as well as a uh, nugget on some California teams in the NHL that Chris Kerber is going to throw our way. So make sure you stay tuned for the next hour. But now, a couple of awards have already kind of started their flow. Well, really all of the awards do, because the regular season is officially over. If things pick back up, when things pick back up, that's going to be the postseason. Season, and the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy, the nominees have already come out, and that is the award that's given out, Chris Kerber, uh, to the player who best exemplifies the quality of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. That's voted on by the Professional Hockey Writers Association, and Jay Bomeister is up for nomination on that one in St. Louis. Every team nominates a player. You get Jay Bomeister on that one. The writers, the professional the writers, writers not, not the team itself. Yes, I'm sorry. The writers vote on each team for a player from that team. Uh, Bobby Ryan is up for that award. Corey Crawford's up for that award. Robbie Fabry is up for that award yeah. with the Detroit Red Wings, but I thought it was cool Great to see. choice by Detroit's I writers, I thought so, by the way. As, well, as well. But uh, really, really good to see Jay Bomeister's name on there because you, we know this guy from his entire career in St. Louis that he's had perseverance, dedication to this sport, he exemplifies that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I wonder, I really have to go back and do a little more research and talk with some some older writers that cover have been covering the league for a lot longer than I've been around it because th- this award lately, in a lot of ways, almost seems to go to the player that exemplifies all that but dealt with something away from the game, dealt with 
In the case of Bobby Ryan, the demons of alcoholism, you know, and what he battled well, through to come back. Robin Leonard last year. Okay, Robin Leonard is, is a great example last year, the mental aspects of things. You know, in this case, it's what Jay Bollmeister dealt with this year, you know, and, you know, but but if you look at Jay Bollmeister and he had to make the decisions, I want to re-sign with the St. Louis Blues because I have a chance to win a cup here and did. Um, you, you know, it's those kind of things you know, that seemed to weigh in. So I, I could easily see this one going in the face. Like, I, that's why I would see Bobby Ryan getting it far more than right. Connor McDavid. Who and, and Connor McDavid is the perfect example of what this award is about. With it was exemplifying, exemplifying all this. Just, yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't mention, like, what you battled through to come back. It just, it just talks about exemplifies the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. It's kind of all of that involved. And so... I've always been kind of fascinated by this award, so well, it'll be interesting to see how that one and plays I just out. Went but, back, but I'm glad to see Jay's name in there. Now that you brought it up, I just went back and brought up some some different names in the past, and I'm sure you know the you know Ian Laperriere, a former St. Louis Blue, mm-hmm. he won it with the Philadelphia Flyers. He was diagnosed with post concussion syndrome and came back and played that entire season after right. he had that. Uh, the one that I, uh, Yarmir Yager, he uh, won it in 2015-16 with the Florida Panthers, but he won it because. At the age of 44, he was the oldest player to surpass 60 points, and they gave it to him because of his off-ice work that he did with the players in Florida as well. Do you know that Yarmir Yager, okay, would he got a key from the trainers in Florida to the rink? Because so, so that a lot of times if a player wants to go skate, one of the trainers is to be there, right? He didn't want to bother them, so he got a key, and he would go at nine o'clock at night, ten o'clock at night. And he'd put on one of those weight vests and skate for hours. Unbelievable. At the age in, in his 40s. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, then one yeah. more I want to mention, Devin Dubnik. This is the part. They gave him the award because he went 27-9-2 with the Minnesota Wild, but that was the year that he played for five teams in two seasons. Yeah, so, well, like, that's kind of the difference that you see with that award. Such an amazing turnaround he had that year, without right. a doubt. So. so you go from the Masterton. And the other one I wanted to talk about with you is one that you're a part of. It's the Broadcasters Association in the NHL. They vote on the Jack Adams Award, which is the best overall head coach in the National Hockey League. Last year, um, it was... Who beat out Doug, um, uh, Craig Berube for it? John Cooper. John Cooper, yes, correct. With the record-setting season he had with the Tampa Bay Lightning. This year... Once again, there's a lot of really good candidates for this one. Okay, so you're right. So so it is the Broadcasters Association. They, they get they get to vote on the awards. Uh, the ballots are due actually tomorrow. And so I, I walk you through. I walk you through my decision process. Yeah. Give the fans an idea, and I, I take these things quite seriously. First off, a couple of criteria things for you. One, preseason expectations to me don't necessarily weigh in this. Because those are expectations that are set by members of the media and and, and different quote-unquote experts and how that goes. All right? So I I don't put a whole lot of stock in, well, your coach of the year is always somebody that did something unexpected or did more with less. Doing more with less is not always, to me, the slam dunk decision-making for a coach of the year. I do believe, like last year, that a coach like John Cooper that had a good team Right, yeah, and and then they played well and had a phenomenal season. I believe that should be recognized. So here's how that plays in. I also look. You may do some amazing things, but if you don't make the playoffs, yeah, okay, 
doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in this case, all right? So you you got to be in the playoffs in my book for for this. Okay, so I look at this and I I what I narrowed it down. I I ended up I looked at everything, looked at what I knew, looked at the different situations, and this year I came down with six candidates. Now you have to put your top three in order. I had two in the West and three in, and four in the East. I had Craig Berube for the St. Louis Blues in the West. I think the injuries the team had, the way they spot for when the play was stopped, for them to have the top team in the Western Conference. And frankly, they've been atop the Western Conference except for like one or two days since the beginning of November. Right. The other one I had is Jared Bednar. Colorado. Because I I think he's done a hell of a job with that Colorado team. And they've dealt with some injuries there, too. Now, look. The Dallas Stars had a coaching change. The Vegas Golden Knights had a coaching change. I think Dave Tippett's done a good job with the Edmonton Oilers. There's a lot of talent there, but the, you know they're, they're sitting in, in what second place in the Pacific, and they're down, you know, in the standings, fifth in the West. Coaching change in Calgary. All right, pretty solid job. I, I think you got it. I think you got to give a nod to Paul Maurice to have Winnipeg where they have them, considering everything that's gone on. But I just think you had better candidates higher up in the standings than Agreed. that. Okay, and then you just go down the list. Nashville, Vancouver's wasn't in the playoff spot. Minnesota coaching change. All right, the rest is easy. In the East, I had these four. I had Bruce Cassidy, because I think what Boston has done to have 100 points to be atop the National Hockey League by at least eight points in the in the Eastern Conference, right, and six points over the Blues in the Western Conference. What he's done with that team after they lost in Game 7 of the stand, I thought he's done a spectacular job of keeping them focused on task and moving forward. Um, I think Todd Reardon gets a look to me, you know, for what he's done with the Washington Capitals. Uh, Lane Vigneault. Had yeah. them one point behind the Washington Capitals. Elaine Vigneault is one hell of a coach. I think he continues to be one of the best coaches in the league. He continues to find a way to turn franchises around and do something great. You know, he's taken the team in the New York Rangers and the Vancouver Canucks to the Stanley Cup final. Right. right? So what he's done is he's taken an organization, he's turned a culture around in a real hurry. And it was not a very good culture there in Philadelphia. So Elaine Vigneault having them knocking on the door of a, of a division title this year, Puts him in the match. And then for me, John Tortorella. And John Tortorella, because one, they were in a playoff spot when a time had ended. No team this season's been decimated like injuries like they have been to their top key players. And he has kept them in the hunt and relevant all year long. And lost their top goaltender through free agency. And, lo- and lose, lose Artemi Panarin and their top yeah. goaltender through free agency. So to do what he did, and I'm telling you right now, healthy, look out. I think they could be a dark horse to win and make some real noise and go on a playoff run if they're really clicking and he's got them going. So I that's what I did. I, I then narrow it down and uh and you know and then for me, I've got it down to four. Uh I, I took Bednar out, I took Reardon out, and my four are Barubi, Cassidy, Vigno, and Tortorella. And uh, I am right now kind of leaning towards my final three being John Tortorella, Craig Barubi, and Elaine Vigneault. So that would be the three that came you know, to mind first and, for me. And I mean, and then I, I honestly think it's just an absolute toss-up, and it's a killer to have to leave Cassidy out of there. So I may, I may put Cassidy in and take Tortorella out. I don't know yet, but that's that's where my decision making is right now on that award. I, I agree 100 percent with all three of those that you thought of because all three have had a phenomenal season, and even the ones that you mentioned that that just fell out of that list for you. And it's interesting to hear that side of it of kind of what the process is for each broadcaster because these broadcasters are there every single day watching these. Co- 
coaches and seeing coaches from around the National Hockey League. I'll say this about the Colorado Avalanche. I bet you Joe Sackick might or could win the general manager of the year for, for what he did yeah. with that team in the offseason of putting a team that that fast to turn around well, from Nassim one year to Kyrie the other. That deal is huge yeah, for them. incredible. Huge. Well, there you go. Jack Adams Award from the broadcaster, one of the 31 broadcasters that will be a part of that decision. And that's going to wrap up our number one of This Week in Hockey. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, top of the hour, Jim Thomas of the Post-Dispatch. He's the Blues beat writer for stltoday.com and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He's going to join us to talk about the hopeful startup of the National Hockey League Phase 2 and what life's been like without sports. So all of that coming your way in hour number two of This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back into tonight's edition of This Week in Hockey. Chris Kerber, Alex Ferrario with you. Glad to have you with us this weekend. We're joined by the St. Louis Blues beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and STLToday.com, Mr. Jimmy Thomas. Jim, how are you, buddy? You doing okay? I'm doing well. I'm here at the uh, the uh, South County uh, Bureau in beautiful downtown uh, Oakville, and uh, all is well, my friends. <laughs> good, good to be talking to you guys. Jim, what has this process been like of trying to still cover the team, uh, find topics to talk about, while the pause has been going on and access has been very difficult? Well, and, and yeah. when I say access difficult, I mean not as not as frequent as you would have if a locker room was open. Yeah, no, it's 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 been a a a strange new world. Luckily, unlike some businesses, our our business can uh, can uh, still function in this kind of. Uh, endeavor so it's yeah it has taken some creativity uh you know it, it hasn't been quite as easy to to uh, uh you know to to get the players but the, the blues have been uh, they've been very cooperative uh uh when i've wanted uh stuff or needed stuff the 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 other thing though the flip side the, the little silver lining is all this is is it's kind of allowed us to do stories that we wouldn't normally do or have time to do or, or maybe do more uh, of things. Like normally we'll write a little bit about the prospects, but but I, I've written a lot more about the prospects. Now this is more earlier during the pandemic, way, way back in March and in April, but we did stories about uh, uh, about San Antonio, how some of those players did uh, uh, down there. I, I talked to, did a story with Bill Armstrong just talking about maybe if there were about seven junior players uh, that were Blues property, how their seasons went. Obviously, did stories on Hugh McGing and Perunovic, stuff like that. So it was good to do that. And even like a, a story like uh, Eric Foley, which we just ran uh, yep. Monday, it took me quite a bit of legwork just to, to track him down. And during the course of a season, when when you have the games and you have the travel, it, it, it just probably couldn't do something like that. So so uh, I'm, I'm glad we've been able and, – and some fun things. Uh, Tom Timmerman and I have done the uh, – these where uh, where are they now on Farmer Blues and those have been very popular stories and it's it's been great to talk to to, uh, to some of these people who I you know grew up uh, watching as, as someone who who remembers the, the the very first year of the Blues and I've made a discovery that curves I'm sure you've known for a long time former hockey players they have a lot of stories <laughs> they do a lot of great stories. JT, I'm curious. You've been covering sports in St. Louis for a long time. You've covered Super Bowl championships. Now you've covered a Stanley Cup championship. But when this pandemic hit, you're in the midst of a uh, you know Stanley Cup defensive season. What has this given you a different perspective on sports? I guess. Well, on the one hand, it it tells you how 
maybe insignificant what I do is in the, the whole Rama thing. I like I, I couldn't imagine being one of those uh, frontline doctors uh, in, in New York or, or anywhere uh, when, uh, when the, the COVID-19 was really, you know, raging in, in New York City or whatever. On the other hand, I think the beauty of sports is it gives people an escape. People have enough stress in their lives, enough, uh, uh, you know, issues and problems and go, go, go. And uh, we're kind of a great escape where they can take their minds off that. Uh, it can be a great rallying point for a community and nothing like winning a championship. We, we all saw the, uh, you know, the parade and the, uh, the aftermath of the Blues Cup last year. And, and that's a valuable function in society. You need to have, you need to have fun. And, uh, and that was gone, and, 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 and you missed that. And also, you know, some withdrawals. You turn on the TV and there would be no sports on. I mean, it was just everything was strange and not, uh, you know, I, I think uh, since March the 12th, I've, I've had one tank of gas to put in my car. And, wow. and normally, you That's know, impressive. back and forth to Centene or, or uh, to Enterprise, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tank of gas a week. Even in, in Early in the pandemic, it was just how clear the air looked, you know, when nobody was out. Even the weeds in my front yard. Look pretty. The dandelions. It was the, the yellowest yellow I'd ever seen on a weed, you know, and and so it was just. It's all been so so very surreal, uh, guys. I don't know about you. It seems like the hockey season was like a lifetime ago. The 2019-20 hockey season that we've been on pause. I mean, doesn't it seem like a long time ago to you guys? Well, when you we were re- in Anaheim and uh, whatnot. Well, yeah. When you realize that this pause has now gone three months, that was essentially the off season the Blues had last year. It was like I think a 91 day off season. By the mm-hmm. time everything got done, the thing of it is now is we. You know the players, for the most part, haven't done a whole lot of skating. I mean, I'll bet you guys have been off the ice longer now than they've been since they were five years old and how that will all translate into things. What are your general thoughts, Jim, on the system of play that the league wants to and is going to implement when they resume games, hopefully in the beginning of August, of the play-in tournaments for the bottom eight teams and then the seeding round-robin for the top four teams in each conference? Yeah, I'm I'm okay with it. Not, nothing was going to be perfect. Remember, originally it looked like they were zeroing in on a plan to have four pod cities, basically with a division in each of the four cities, and get some regular season games in, and then that would have made it an even longer process to to uh, play this out. A, a part of me says maybe 20 teams would have been better. I mean, if you look at uh, what Montreal, how, how many points were they out of a playoff spot? Uh, Eleven, I think. Right. Uh, even Chicago, okay, they were only six out, but they had to climb over a lot of other teams that were playing well to, to get there. And you're like, well, why do they deserve to be in there? But uh, So I think maybe 20 would have been better, but the 24 is fine. The round robin, I, I think you, you, you have to uh, take it as it is. I mean, to me, seating isn't very important at all in, these, you know, in, in the playoffs. You're not going to be playing in front of your uh, – your home fans. Uh, uh, you're not even going to be playing on uh, your home ice unless uh, one of the uh, the pod cities is a team that's uh, that's in the uh, uh, tournament. But I think it was just a way to the round robin to, to let the top teams get some games in and in a little you know in a competitive atmosphere that would knock some of the rust off. Otherwise, if they were just sitting around while the other 16 were 
we're playing a you know a best of five uh, winner go home thing. I, I think it would have been a great disadvantage to the uh, uh, to the seeded team. So uh, yeah, all things considered, I, I think it's a pretty good system, and uh, and uh, I just hope we've seen it see it sooner rather than later. Now, it, in saying that, if you would have asked me even a month ago if hockey was going to return, I would have said no. But now I I really think it's going to happen unless there's some unforeseen spike in the in the in the pandemic uh uh you know it, it around the country i i I really think we're going to see some hockey. Well, I'm in the same boat as you, Jim, especially after, you know, seeing these conversations back and forth with the NHLPA and then, of course, the NHL situation. There does still seem to be hurdles that need to be accomplished from the player's perspective, but I don't know your thoughts on this, but mine at least, those hurdles don't seem to be as high as some other leagues trying to get back in action. Oh, no, not at all. And I think part of the reason is uh, is you're, uh, we're, what, like 85% finished with the uh, – uh, with the regular uh, uh, season, and and I guess uh, maybe there's still some issue about uh, being away from the uh, family, but in terms of families and, and whatnot. But I think in terms of the format and how it's going to be done and how you ramp up to that, it looks like they're they're very much in agreement. Uh, I think the main thing now, and, and and you know maybe there's more to it. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it. It's just a the players, the health and safety of the players. What, what will the testing be like, and what will, how strong will the uh, uh, the bubble, so to speak, be between the, once they start playing in these sub cities between the practice rinks and the arena where they're actually playing games and uh, and, and the hotels. But I, 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 from what I understand, it's it's mainly those issues that uh, uh, are the ones that. Uh, you know, still need to be worked out to the, the player's satisfaction. Yeah, there is definitely some other issues. Now, I like the fact, and we heard from Doug Armstrong earlier in the program, you know, the more that they can keep the negotiations, the discussions, the challenges, frankly, out of the drying line of public view is a good thing as they're learning kind of how things can really backfire from the court of public opinion when dealing with things like this at this kind of time and what they're learning from Major League Baseball. And for the most part, I think the National Hockey League has done a, a really strong job of doing it. Jim, can you stick around uh, for one more segment for us? You got the time? Certainly, yeah. All right, no let's problem. let's take a real quick break. And uh, when we come back, we'll get into uh, some other real hot-button topics that the Blues have to face now with uh, the beat writer from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and longtime sports coverage veteran here in the city of St. Louis, Jim Thomas. There will be back in a moment on This Week in Hockey on your home for St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN. Let's bring you back in again as we welcome you back to this weekend. Hockey is uh, we continue with St. Louis Blues uh, beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Jim, Jim Thomas. Of course, you can subscribe to the Post-Dispatch, and I suggest you do because the work that they do is extremely important. So uh, subscribe to it at uh, stltoday.com. Jim, well, let's let's talk about and get your opinion on some different Blues topics and how you see things playing out the the biggest off ice story and there is not even anything in my view unless i mean if you disagree throw it at me that comes even second so i think you've got this is first and everything else is about fourth is how everything going on in terms of the economics of the game impacted by the pandemic the shortened window, what will be between when the season ends and when the next season starts, whatever it may be, how this all could impact Alex Petrangelo's decision-making and the Blues' decision-making. 
Yeah, I wonder if it's reached a point now where uh, Petrangelo has decided. You know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wait this out and see what's out there. It was very interesting uh, earlier on during this pause that uh, boom, 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 uh, uh, Doug Armstrong. Uh, signed three players, you know, McEachern, uh, Blay, and, and Scandella. It was basically like he had a an off season right right in the middle of uh, of the season, and, and he said at the time he wouldn't have done it without the pause. He would have just waited till after the season was uh, was over. And so, boy, you're thinking that would have been a good time maybe to do something with uh, with Petrangelo. But uh, uh, yeah, it's it's weighing uh, very much on people's mind now. Uh, we're thinking uh, that it's going to be a flat cap. It's going to be right at eighty-one and a half million. That, that's the, the thought right now, and it's been reported by a lot of people, although nothing official. Where originally it was going to go up between what about three to uh, three to maybe about uh, six, seven million dollars. So there's that less money there. But there are a lot of teams, and I've, I've looked at the cap situation of next year in terms of how much money. Teams have committed uh, to salaries already for uh, 2020, 2021, and there are more teams than you think that have some cap room. And one of them that just really sticks out like a sore thumb is uh, is Colorado, uh, 59 million committed to the cap. Uh, so that's what 22 and a half million of cap space. Now they have some players with expiring contracts. But none that you would necessarily consider their elite or even the uh, close to elite players. So there are teams that could make a run at Petro. So I, I don't know how you solve this. When Scandella was, uh, and maybe I was a little slow on the uptake on this, but when Scandella was signed, I, I first came to the realization they're they're not going to have enough money. They're going to have to free up maybe uh, eight to ten million dollars if they want to sign Petro. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what what uh, the way out of this is, but uh, it just. I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm I'm thinking that maybe it's less likely that Petro's back. All along, I thought no, he's he's going to be back. I mean, there are so many reasons for him to come back. The fact that he can be a legacy player in St. Louis. The fact that his in-laws are in St. Louis. He married a St. Louis gal, and 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 they get along well. Unlike some in-laws we know, right? But, uh, uh, you know, they get along well, and he's got the triplets and and plenty of babysitting support. And the other thing, which I I did a story uh, on him right at the All-Star break, and he talked about how great of a fit it was, how uh, Baruby becoming the head coach was so good for how he wanted to play and his style of play. And a part of me is like, well, you've got all that in place. You've got a team that's going to be a cup contender. I think the window's going to be open for at least the next couple, three years, maybe even longer than that. Why would you want to leave that? So it, it, it's it's a it's still a puzzling thing to me. And, you know, without – and Petro's been pretty quiet. He hasn't tipped his hand too much on at all on what he's thinking or – are, are what are his motivations are it's, it's still it's still hard to hard to figure it out what, what's going to happen here the, the part that in, intrigues me a lot jt with all this conversation too is kind of tied to alex petrangelo but it's the mindset for doug armstrong and we've had this conversation on this program a couple of times you know what happens with petrangelo but what does that look like and affect colton pareko because we know colton pareko's still under contract for a couple of years but if you do lock up alex petrangelo for five six maybe seven years you're going to have a big decision to make with 55 when his contract comes up 
Yeah, I I I I agree with that, and I, I see that now. If you look beyond uh, this this next coming season, if you looked after after next season, and and granted the 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 Blues will continue to have players to re-sign, but the Blues look like after twenty twenty one. They're in pretty good cap shape. Now, again, they've got players to resign, and that could disappear a lot. So I'm not sure looking, and I, I haven't looked that many years out as to what they have committed. But, uh, you know, two years in, in pro sports in the NHL was like a lifetime ago. And while you can't plan, a, you know, necessarily just not plan ahead at all, I think you worry about the now. and get it, cause you, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who will go in the uh, in the expansion draft. Yes, there will be an expansion draft at the uh, at some point. So I don't think you should, you really need to worry too much about how re-upping Petro will, will affect Pareko because you're, you you should have some money coming off the books after next year. Even if, even if uh, Steen's back, even if Bozak's back, uh, Jake Allen, you know, his contracts up. So those are all pretty substantial contracts. So I, I think they can find the money, uh, to re-sign both, and uh, this is a team, at least my experience, and, and even looking back since Armstrong's been here, it's kind of a, a team that's been built from the back end up. So, uh, uh, you know, I don't think it would be foolish that they'd be too top-heavy, and, and, and I'm not sure if it necessarily will will affect uh, uh, their ability to sign Pareko. Jim, we were talking a little bit earlier just about how the changes are going to impact everything. I'm I'm curious what kind of thought you've given to how you are going to attempt to cover the hockey team if and when they end up going with the Hub City format, which also really requires them to sequester team personnel and these players to keep them COVID safe and yet uh, still feed the beast and thirst of fans wanting the coverage. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And uh, we already know that uh... – and the Blues haven't started the uh, uh, the small group workouts yet, but uh, we already know that uh, you know no media is going to be allowed in the uh, in the building. And you know I think you can always get some you know some players on the phone and and and, and whatnot. And as I said, the Blues uh, PR have been very cooperative in in that. And you have to look at the the, the small group workouts as it's really like the August workouts. And even in my my brief uh, experience covering hockey you would we would just sh- tell the uh would tell the blues that we're going to be out there but you just show up there and whoever's on that very informal and so that's not so much of a problem to me how that how that shakes out because again that's just like the players showing up in mid-august or early september before camp and basically skating on their own but once you get to camp and when you're in the hub city they've made it very clear that only uh what each team is is only going to be allowed to have 50 uh, members of the team in there, and they're they're very much limiting who's on the event level. Well, if you're media and you can't be on the event level, you know how do, how do you uh, how do you work the uh, locker room? How do you do your interviews? And I've I've always taken a lot of pride in being able to to work a locker room and and and, uh, and get uh, uh, you know some some good material from the players, and also even beyond the quality of what you might get, just uh, building up relationships with uh, with players. You won't necessarily have that face to face. So I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't know if they're, they, they may funnel media uh, into the press entrance, straight up to the press box and maybe have a zoom conference where the coach comes on after the game, maybe two or three players are, will we, will we be allowed in the building at all? That, that really haven't gotten any hints at all from, 
the league in terms of when they start playing in the hub cities on how that's going to work. So Jim, final one bef- from me before we let you go, and I know we kind of opened up this interview talking about what life has been like for you covering sports and for how long you've been covering sports. I'm curious, and I guess I could direct this question to Curbs as well. How nice has it been to uh, not have to put a tie on for this amount of time? <laughs> yeah, at uh, some of the and then the personal grooming habits have uh, <laughs> have uh, slipped as well. I finally got a haircut. Uh, my daughter-in-law. Uh, said that I look like one of those, uh, you know, uh, 1800s presidents with just kind of a, a bush head and finally got a haircut. So that has been uh, that has been nice. But I have to say it's probably being home this much probably isn't helping my marriage. I, I think my <laughs> wife wanted to volunteer to be on the return to play committee so she could help get me out of the house. It really is a fascinating time with what sports are dealing with. And it's not just sports. It's every business I think because of the public nature of sports, the world of sports finds itself in a very in a leadership role where I think some organizations might be reluctant to take that role and it's thrust upon them. I think other organizations, and I think the way the St. Louis Blues are run by Chris Zimmerman and Tom Stillman, they're more than willing to be the first to step through and to accept that role. But moving yeah, forward, yeah. there is a lot of opportunity for teams socially, and then they have to figure out how to make it work economically. And I, I think there's a lot of pressure coming on sports teams, Jim, not just to win championships and do what your primary function is, but really almost to, to redefine the role in the community. Yeah, no no, no doubt about that. And I, I, I agree. I think the, uh, the entire pro sports world, especially uh, – uh, the NHL and the NBA, because they were right at the forefront uh, of this in terms of trying to do the right thing, the social distancing, the shelter in place. And, uh, you know, sports teams, sports athletes, they have quite a platform and they can influence how, you know, Joe fan or just the, the, a citizen that really isn't even much of a sports fan think and operate. So uh, I think they, they do deserve a lot of credit for, for how, how they've handled this. and, and uh, uh, But as you mentioned, there, there are even more challenges moving forward in terms of how you start to get the fans back in the, in the, uh, in the stands, how you deal with that, uh, uh, how you continue to get the revenue you need to, to, to run a, a, you know, a competitive and a winning organization. But also, I know teams, I remember the Rams were very active in the community. The Blues are very active in the community. How do you keep doing that? You know, on, at least until there's some kind of vaccine. It's kind of going to be very, very challenging. Yeah, no no doubt about it. Jim, I'd love to get you on. I'm going to bring you back, uh, if it's okay with you, for our, our an entire behind-the-bench program. I, I'd love to take some of that time and just talk about the coverage of sport and uh, how it's changed over your career and what it's like now and things along the lines of how the media, media is viewed, looked at different different aspects like that. I'd, lo- I'd love to get deeper into that topic um, w- when we have more time for it. How does that sound? Well, that, that's great. My kids joked that uh, when I started uh, covering sports, uh, uh, it was with stone tablets. So, uh, yeah, I go back a ways <laughs> on this. So I, I began with a typewriter. My first uh, post-dispatch stories were on a typewriter. So, yeah, we could cover some ground there, Chris. And anytime somebody says stone tablets, I, I, I think of the opening scene of History of the World where Moses is coming down the mountains with, <laughs> I bring you these 15, and then he drops one of them, crash, 
these Ten Commandments. <laughs> oh, what a scene. Yeah. Jim, th- thank you so much, man. Uh, good to hear from you. Can't wait to see you again, bud. We'll, we'll talk real soon. Sounds good, Alex. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Jim. All right, you got it. That's Jim Thomas of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. We'll take a break. More to come here on This Week in Hockey. In just a moment on 101 ESPN. in here on this week in hockey winding things down tonight on a tuesday night along with voice of the blues chris kerber i'm alex ferrario a big thank you again to jim thomas of the post dispatch joining us and if you missed any of that conversation or if you miss any of the program you can check them out on 101espn.com and you can just search this week in hockey and you got the entire podcast there as well and then tomorrow night it's behind the bench presented by boardwalk hardwood floors chris kerber will be hosting that and on that program, you'll hear from President of Hockey Operations Doug Armstrong, who Curbs teased in the first hour, is going to talk a little bit about Alex Petrangelo, Tarasenko, and where things are at right now with the state of hockey. Also, Craig Berube will join the program, and I'm excited with this one, Curbs. Kim Davis, who is a part of the NHL, she's the Executive VP for Social Impact, Growth Initiatives, and Legislative Affairs, which right now a lot going on in the NHL. Yeah, you know, listen, we've talked a lot of hockey tonight, giving opinions out, but Again, by no means are we tone deaf to still what is, you know, front and center in our country, not just COVID-19, but all the protests and the issues surrounding social injustice. And I thought it was fitting. So tomorrow night, we're going to spend a good amount of time with Kim Davis. You you mentioned her title. She joined the National Hockey League back on December 4th of 2017. And to give you an idea of what, you know, kind of what, what she has been about, she came to the National Hockey League after leading the, the CEO advisory team for Taneo. And as a senior managing director, she built and ran the firm's corporate responsibility and inclusive leadership practice. Now, that practice included advising CEOs and Fortune 500 companies daily. Now, prior to that, Alex, Kim had a 20-plus year career at J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, while while there, she served as managing director of Global CSR, but also president of the J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation. So as a member of that firm's executive committee, her responsibilities included leading and managing what was approximately $300 million in annual giving. She also oversee, oversaw employee and civic engagement, strategic corporate marketing sponsorship programs. So she's now been with the National Hockey League for two and a half years. Check this one out, too. She was named the business journals, named to the business journals, I should say, 100 most influential women and fast companies, 100 most creative people in business. And in 2012, she was profiled with First Lady Michelle Obama and Essence Magazines as the 28 most influential black women in America. Wow, that's incredible. So, I mean, folks, that that's one neck of a resume. And I've had a chance to now sit and talk with Kim a couple of times. We hosted a couple of events here over the last year and a half where I have emceed, where she has been kind of our keynote speaker and different discussions. And and I think it's not only, it's a great perspective, and I'm looking very, very forward to bringing her to all of you. If you have not heard about Kim and heard what she's about, I think it's going to be a fantastic interview tomorrow night, and that'll be on air with us from 6 to 8 tomorrow night. So hopefully they stay tuned for that. You know, I had 
let's just I guess we'll just stay on this topic here, you know, for 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 a little bit. If you remember the the, the beginning of the show last week, I talked about teams making statements and and, and I said, why do teams have to make statements? Mm-hmm. I still ask that question, and I, I still actually, you know, giving it a ton of thought here over the last week, and watching, and reading, and listening, opening to different perspectives and, and, and different things, and just just hearing. I still actually believe in my statement of uh, I don't know why it's so important that teams had to put out statements last week. And here's why. I, I would love to know what this exercise, Alex, would do. Well, first off, since we did our show, okay, Ryan O'Reilly issued a statement. Now, he issued the statement through the St. Louis Blues because he's not on social media. Right. Okay, so the, he called up the Blues. The, the Ryan O'Reilly statement. And by the way, if you want even more detail than just the statement, I think Jeremy Rutherford did a fantastic follow-up article on The Athletic. Put it out yesterday or the day before, so read it. Um. And, and, and Jeremy's, Jeremy's article is really important to this. If you gave every sports team that issued a statement last week, and first off, you knew what the statements were going to say. Okay. Now, some went further and more specific. Some were a little more general. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Blues obviously took, you know, took, took some lumps on, on, on their combined statement with, with the Cardinals. Cardinals. Now, there were public comments. Now, there were a whole bunch of likes, too. Okay, so it, it's all over the place. But the reason I said what I said last week was you know what a statement is going to say. I mean, they're not going to come out and say something controversial or anything like that. So I, I have always believed in actions more so than statements. But that's irrelevant. In the nature of today's world, you have got to make a statement. Right. What I would question is I wonder if you gave every team that put out a statement in the last seven days an opportunity to say, we're going to say Friday of this week is Statement Friday. So from when everything broke loose on Monday a week ago to now, so so you give it the better part of of what, 11 days, all right? If you gave each of those teams said, everybody reissue a statement today, how many of those statements would look different? How many of those statements might have a different tone? How many of those different statements would include things that they did not include? For example, and let's take it off the National Hockey League for a moment. Would the NFL statement include mentioning Colin Kaepernick now? Yeah. Even a few days later from what was the statement that even shocked apparently some of their own owners? Okay. Um, I mean, think about the reversal in time now where whether it be the NFL or USA Soccer or whatever who were going to forbid kneeling during the national anthem, now it's acceptable. Right. Okay. I guess the reason I say that is I think sometimes these things take some time because, again, we're just talking a statement. It's going to take organizations a lot longer to figure out and define the role that their organizations play in this climate, Alex, and and then how they're going to implement action, not only socially and visibly, 
but internally. And I'll make the case that internally might be more important now than externally and visibly. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 fascinating to watch how, how this is continuing to go. And I, I I would just urge people to be patient. Be patient. Because I don't care what we're dealing with in life. When you really give yourself some time to process and think and openly consider and discuss um, different aspects of of what is going on. Right now, your perspective on some of this might change in ways daily, just like when we get new information coming out on COVID-19. Mm-hmm. You know, look, I've had, I was part of Big Brothers Big Sisters, not only here in town when I, when I got back into St. Louis, uh, I think it's a phenomenal organization, absolutely phenomenal organization. Um, but I was also part of it when I was in the minor leagues in Springfield, Massachusetts. So the young, the young kid that I was paired up with, he was eight years old at the time, Tony. You know, he, he now calls himself Gerald, his first name. Tony was his middle name. When I got the job, so we'd hang out, we, we'd go. He, he, he lived in a bad part of town. We'd go, we'd shoot off rockets, we'd play Risk. We we would just, he, he'd come hang at a, at a event if the team was doing a public event, I'd bring him with me. That, that kind of thing. You know, I was, you know, didn't have a family, all that stuff. And, and you know, it was a chance to, to connect and hopefully make a difference. Well, I got the job in 2000 to come back home to St. Louis. And when I, the window of when I got the job and moved home, he had gone on a trip to North Carolina with his mom. And they didn't come back. Like they stayed down there for an extended period of time. And uh, and it might have actually been Atlanta at the time, too, that they, that they went to because he had some family in Atlanta. So I didn't get the chance to say goodbye. Okay. And this is almost, there wasn't, you know, you didn't have cell phones and that kind of stuff. So. Right. There, there have been some times in my trips back to Western Massachusetts where we literally couldn't find him. I called the old number. He had moved. We actually, a couple buddies and I, we went and started knocking on some doors near his old house. Anybody know? And nothing happened. A year ago, right about this time, maybe about a year, maybe 13, 14 months ago, I get an instant message on Facebook, and it was from Tony. <laughs> we hadn't talked in 20 years. We couldn't find each other. I mean, he, he, hadn't, he hadn't reached out on Facebook, that kind of stuff. Didn't think he using Facebook, to be honest with you, in terms of that search. And uh, so last summer, we got together for the first time in 20 years. He's grown. He has a kid. He has an amazing, amazing story. He spent eight years in prison during that time where we hadn't connected. Uh, The impact that you end up having on somebody, he tells me the story that uh, after the first year in prison, he... Um, and it was it was for dealing drugs. He was very open and honest about it. It, it really is a story that I've told him. We have to tell you. Your story has to be told. And just the perspective of sitting with him for three hours and hearing him talk about where life was going, how it went, okay, stuff that Alex would blow your mind right now. Right. Okay, what he did in prison and how he turned his life around while in prison. And and then how he came out, what he's doing now, how he's living now, and he's one of the most positive individuals, you know. And we're, we're, we we text back and forth regularly, 
looking forward to seeing them this summer if we get back up there again, uh, if, if COVID allows us to travel. But again, I, I bring that, tell that story because the perspectives that I've continued to learn from from Gerald uh, since we got connected has been I learned something every single time. It's okay. I think people's minds can change. I think people's opinions can change. I think people's approach can change. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not as quick to say, I need to see a statement from somebody. You know what I'd like to see? I don't want to see a statement. I want to see perspective. And and that's kind of, I think, where I'm at a week later on this, where, you know, whereas before. And, you know, we've had, we've had Zoom meetings with the team where this has been a topic on every single meeting. We've already... In the last week, there's been two guests in our Zoom meetings to add perspective and thought to this topic. Mm -hmm. It's created outstanding discussions in the leadership group of these team Zoom meetings. Now, that's not something that the public sees, right? That's not something that the public, you don't put out a press release, you know. So, you know, Ahmad Hicks took the team to task on their statement pretty hard. There's a lot more behind the scenes Ahmad Hicks doesn't know that the team has done and been a part of. Is it enough? Well, I'll leave that for somebody else to decide. I can tell you, it's even even now, more so, what, what they've done and what their efforts are. It's it's important, and there's a lot of work that's going to be done and, and has been done and is being done. And, but, but you can see the approach where everybody says, well, it's got to be better. We've got to be better. You know, and, and, and maybe what we thought and, and what somebody thought was enough wasn't that it's enough it's yeah, i wonder if our approach needs to be different if our if our direction needs to be different but then that that then leads to this and this is what i'm going to talk about tomorrow night with with kim a little bit too these sports teams have been thrusted into so we finish with jim thomas into leadership roles and I almost think more so because whether it be from the top of the country to local leadership, I think we've been devoid of real strong leadership. I think because of the public nature of sports, right, wrong, or indifferent, you're in it. Mm-hmm. You're there. You can't run and hide. You can't ignore. And the roles that you play in the community can be extremely impactful. So you have to step into that leadership role with courage. You have to step into that leadership role with conviction. You have to step into that leadership role with thick skin because not every response is going to be positive and a pat on the back. You're going to take some lumps in the process. But if you believe in it, you can make quite a difference. And I think that's where teams are. But teams are going to have to, first and foremost, in conjunction, I think, with their players. And it does, and the players do not have to be black in, in, in whatever race their players are in these different sports, they're going to have to define a role and define a a direction and then base their action steps off of that. And you define that role and direction of listening and discussing with community leaders, with fans, with players, and and then you go from there. And I think that's what's coming next for these teams is how do you define that role? And then what you do publicly with that means a lot more to me than any public statement you may make right now. And and I, th- I think that's where my perspective on this is 
grown and changed even from last week to this week. Well, and again, uh, really looking forward to this conversation with Kim Davis of the NHL tomorrow night. And uh, along with Kim Davis, you'll hear from Doug Armstrong, Craig Berube, Chris Kerber hosts the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show uh, tomorrow night from 6 to 7 o'clock here on 101 ESPN. We're going to take a quick break, our final break. We come back and wrap things up here on This Week in Hockey, a nugget about some California NHL teams from Chris Kerber's brain. We'll get into that next here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Final time tonight here on a Tuesday night. And a big thank you, as always, for joining us this evening. And again, if you missed any of the show or interviews with Jim Thomas or the discussion we got into about Alex Petrangelo, you could check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. Just search This Week in Hockey. And as we wrap things up, we dive into a very dangerous place, the mind of Chris Kerber. Oh, baby. But this one is a little hockey nugget for you. It's only dangerous if you don't like adventure. Um, that's we should we shouldn't call it a dangerous place. We should call it an adventurous place. Very true. Okay, I, I okay. changed the the definition of that yeah. one. A, a very okay, adventurous you. place to go. It can be dangerous. Just prepare yourself for it. But this one is some hockey stats for you. Something that hasn't happened in the NHL in twenty five years. Okay, so we kind of looked at this about halfway through the season and said, you know, this could happen. And I thought, well, geez, when was the last time this happened? This season now, with the regular season officially over, and the National Hockey League basically announcing that these are the playoff teams. So while there are 24 teams in it right now, right? While that while that is going on, okay, and they remember, they based the 24 teams off points percentage. was the best way for them to do it. That leaves the three teams out of the playoffs in the Western Conference because there's one one team fewer in the Western Conference than there is in the East. The Anaheim Ducks, the Los Angeles Kings, and in last place, the San Jose Sharks. The team right. that was in the Western Conference The team that was in the Western year. Conference final last year. It's the first time in 25 years that a California team has not been in the playoffs. Because wow. the Sharks the Sharks have gone on some amazingly long playoff runs. They, they've only missed the playoffs, I think, twice, counting this year since Doug Wilson took over as, as general manager. But this is only the second time all three California teams have missed the playoffs. And in the 53 years since expansion... So since the L.A. Kings came in with the St. Louis Blues as part of the 1967 expansion, there has been at least one California team in the playoffs 45 times. You know, so again, when we talk about all three, we're saying since obviously San Jose and Anaheim came in the league. Right. All right. But since a California team was in the league, right. you there's been a California team all every year but eight. I mean, that that really is something else. Now, take a look at this real quick here. All right. All three of these teams, I mean, they just, they fell on it and they fell on it hard. All right. The San Jose Sharks went from three years ago being in the Stanley Cup final to a conference final trip a year ago to last in the West. Now they're going to end up with a lottery pick and they could end up with a pretty good draft pick. Told it's kind of an average draft. But, but if you're still in the top five, you're in the top five. And the San Jose Sharks could have it. That could end up being... They could end up with a first overall pick. Right, because okay. of the lottery. Think about what... How did this, How did the Tampa Bay Lightning end up with Steven Stamkos? Yep. A good team that still had Vinny LeCavalier, that still had Martin St. Louis. Right? They just had a 
tough year. They had a bad year. Things went wrong. They ended up with a first overall pick, right? And they take Steven Stamkos. Right. Same draft with the Blues, who were going through that tough period, end up taking Alex Petrangelo, right? So that could happen here. I mean, the L.A. Kings, the L.A. Kings were in the playoffs recently. You know, the, the, the Anaheim Ducks were in the playoffs. You know, I mean, those three teams just fell on and fell on it hard. You know, and I, I know, look, I, I, I get that people are going to make the argument, okay, the, the, the Blackhawks, I mean, the Coyotes still could have, the, the Winnipeg, you know, the Minnesota Wild, Winnipeg Jazz, okay, I get it. You know, but but they're in. So, but nonetheless, something pretty amazing when you think it's been 25 years that you have not had a California team. Now, remember, go back a few years back when the St. Louis Blues kind of became the the Canada's team because we said, come on, Canada, come with us because there were right. no Canadian teams in the playoffs there. And then go back to this. Now, go back to this. So what could happen this year? You now have. So it was just a couple years ago that there were no Canadian teams in the playoffs, right? All right. Well, now, because it's considered the playoffs, you get the Winnipeg Jets, the Calgary Flames, the Vancouver Canucks, the Edmonton Oilers in the West, right? And you get the Montreal Canadiens, the Toronto Maple Leafs in the East. There's only one Canadian team, the Ottawa Senators, that are not in the playoffs the way the playoffs are this year. Okay? You haven't had a Canadian team win the Stanley Cup since 93 with the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> Who knows? Could happen this year. The California team blows my mind, and not not in terms of, the, I mean, the stat blows my mind, but just thinking about the legacy of those three California teams. I mean, a Paul Correa, Timu Solani transitions into a Ryan Getzlav, Corey Perry scenario, and yep. now you got a team with an aging Ryan Getzlav and no Corey Perry. The San Jose Sharks are a team that I still remember from the 90s and 2000s that always seem to give the Blues fits. That transitions into a. They have been they have been a good team for a long time and just did not get right. Much like the St. Louis Blues had good teams for a long time in that twenty five year run for the playoffs, just couldn't do it in the playoffs and, and, and just couldn't do it. I mean, but if you think about it, Evgeny Nabokov and Jonathan Chichu and Jonathan or, or Joe Thornton and a Patrick Marlowe, and then you transition to a team that. Really, I, I don't know if you want to call it a misstep, but decided to stick with an Eric Carlson rather than stick with the Joe Pavelski and some of their f- aging forwards that they had. And then you have the uh, the L.A. Kings, the the franchise, the the legacy of what they were doing with all those Stanley Cups in such a short time, and then a drop off now of a team that's in a contract controversy. They're, they are in some. Listen, I. They're in some contract hell right now. Yeah. They're in some cap hell. And Rob Blake has got to find a way and bite the bullet to move a couple of those contracts. Look, they'll miss the playoffs for the second years in a row. But again, two years ago, Alex, they were in the playoffs. I mean, it was only 2013, 2014, right? It was seven years ago that they won the Stanley Cup for the second time in three years. And they made the playoffs twice since then. Yeah, They won the Stanley Cup. Remember how earlier in the show I said, look, it, it's legit. It's hard to make the playoffs. They won the Stanley Cup and then missed the playoffs. Carolina the Hurricanes did that in 2006. Right. They missed the Stanley or they missed the playoffs, but they won the, the Stanley Cup when they were an eight seed, correct? Uh, well, that that was the first one yeah. that they did. Yeah, you know. So listen, I, it, it really is phenomenal. You know what, what they have done, and then you know the Anaheim Ducks. Remember the Anaheim Ducks were were, were making the playoffs every single yeah. year. They were making the playoffs every single year under Bruce Boudreau. Yeah. It's only happened twice where Bruce Boudreau has coached an entire season with one team 
where that team has missed the playoffs. And so here again, we're talking about these three teams. We, we just talked about the, the, the great playoff run for the, the San Jose Sharks. The L.A. Kings were knocking on the door, too. They still feel they could, they could get back into it, right? But the Anaheim Ducks had, was it, one, two, three, four, five, six straight runs, seasons of making the playoffs until last year. Right. They missed last year. They fired, well, last year Randy Carlisle had taken back over, so Bruce Boudreaux had been filed. So they, you're talking 2016-17. Right, so just three seasons ago, they were in the conference finals. Mm-hmm. Then they lost in the first round, and now they're back into, into, into total irrelevance. Right? Look, I don't know. I think LA is going to have a hard time turning things around because of their contracts. I don't like a couple of the contracts that the San Jose Sharks signed, right? Versus keeping Pavelski, but I do think that, like, I don't think a, a turnaround from the Ducks or a turnaround from uh, a quicker turnaround from from San Jose, from where they're at with a high draft pick that they could get, and how things, I don't, I don't think that they could that, that they necessarily have to wallow in misery forever like the Edmonton Oilers or some other teams. Have no, I agree, hundred percent, and especially with some of the young players that the Ducks have in their system that had a shot this year, and then a draft pick depending on what they could get. The interesting with the Anaheim Ducks thing is think of the think of the amount of high quality goaltenders that the Anaheim Ducks have cranked out, and they were never really able to accomplish another Stanley Cup other than the year Chris Brunger. I mean, they had Jonas Hiller for such a long time who got them to where they... Frederick Anderson, who's now with Toronto, and now they're with John Gibson. All of those goaltenders, they, they were some of the best, but they just couldn't get to that that Stanley it's, Cup championship. You know, I, I do look at... Uh, I'll leave you this thought. I, I look at the Eastern Conference and the where teams are, and you look at what the Islanders are growing, the talent with the Carolina Hurricanes where Toronto is, what Columbus has done. Florida's going to end up doing something with Joel Quenville. The growth of the New York Rangers, the Canadians just trying to get above average. All right. You've got – and then the Buffalo Sabres still have some talent too, but it's – look, Ralph Kruger has having a heck of a time trying to change a culture there, and it isn't going to change in one year. Okay, so that that's a culture change that's going to take some time. They're still trying funny, to fix the GM issues. Funny to see. Funny. Well, not the GM issues of the past. Of the contract past. Of, yeah, of that's what I'm past, talking about. You know, but but okay. So the Devils are going to struggle for a little bit. Ottawa and, and and Detroit are in some some holy heck right now. Okay, <laughs> I'll tell you what. This Western Conference. I mean, I see the LA Kings slipping down a little bit unless they get some real rebound season from some of their long contract guys and get a real good year out of Jonathan Quick. But oh my goodness. That next year, uh, for, don't worry about the playoffs so much this year in terms of this kind of, my goodness, that next year the competition in the West is just sick. Yeah, I mean, you you could win a division, go on a deep run, and then miss the playoffs with a good team the next year. It's 100%. amazing. Yeah, it's, it is unbelievable, and that's why this playoff format is going to be so intriguing uh, with these teams. And that is going to wrap it up for us tonight here on This Week in Hockey. Curbs, big thank you to you as always. Great show tonight. And again, be sure to tune in tomorrow night from 6 to 7 o'clock for the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. You'll hear more from Doug Armstrong, the interview that Chris Kerber had with him. Uh, you'll hear that. You'll hear the chat with Chief, uh, Chief Craig Berube and Kim Davis, who we spoke early of of this hour, uh, will be with Chris Kerber. So that's from 6 to 7 o'clock tomorrow night for the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench. For Chris Kerber, I'm Alex Ferrario. Big thank you to Mike Ryder for helping us out this evening. Have a great rest of your night, and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 6 o'clock here on your home for the St. Louis Blues, 101 ESPN.